Hey everybody, welcome to the Soulful Lounge podcast. I'm really stoked to introduce you to Savannah Pitero. Um, she is an incredible woman who I have admired for a long, long time and I'm really stoked that we're going to be chatting today. Um, one thing that stood out to me when we had the chat just before I started recording is that you're, you're about change, but it's actually about making sure that everything is ready for that change and it's not a short-term thing, it's a long-term game that is going to benefit many, many, many. And I really want to dive into that more because I think right now everyone is thinking about getting out of isolation from COVID-19 and they're thinking, I want to make changes, but a lot of people I'm seeing are going, I don't know what to do. And so um, I have a feeling that today what we talk about is going to inspire people um, in many different ways. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Savannah. Well, first, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Um, a bit about myself. So I am one of seven children. Um, my dad is from Aitutaki in the Cook Islands, so I'm half Cook Island Māori. And my mum is Te Atiawa, Taranaki. So I'm Māori on my mum's side. Grew up in Huntley, which is a very small town, and there are a lot of Huntley jokes. But when I grew up in Huntley, it was, it was good. We have Rako Manga Manga, which is a total immersion Māori school. We have the Kingitanga. We had the Māori Queen. We have Tainui Games. We have Koronehana, which is like coronation. We run gathers. So looking back, I realised it was culturally thriving. And so it was a good space to grow up. Um, my study background is performing arts school. I majored in dance and singing, uh, personal training, Pacific Island nutrition, and then I did a commercial law degree. Uh, and my commercial law favorite area is IP law. And I'm currently finishing uh, my certificate at the Regenesis Institute so that I can be a regenerative practitioner. What does that mean, regenerative? <laughs> I can't even pronounce oh, it. It's so good. It means instead of things being sustainable, everything regenerates. So when people talk about circular economy or um, when they talk about uh, landscape design or architecture, rather than looking at the building and the place, you look at everything, the land, the water, um, the people, the culture, the history. So everything is measured on is the air quality, has the air quality improved, has the soil been remediated? So regeneration. Yeah. That's incredible. I have never heard of that. So you could study for that. And I have sent you the link. Yeah. Like, more people do that. New Zealand has, they call them regenerates. Okay, so we, they may want to revisit that name, but yeah. Yeah, or they have the highest number of regenerates, people who have graduated from this. So it seems to align with the hearts and minds of Kiwis. Yeah. 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 We're a pretty amazing bunch. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so tell me what you're working on at the moment. And so, you know, this podcast is about inspiring and educating people about things. So tell me what you're working on that might inspire educators. Okay. 
So one of the projects that I'm currently working on is to alleviate financial hardship for 400,000 New Zealanders. And that's a big goal. So let's clap to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time I say it, I pause and go silent. But there's this amazing quote, actually. And um, Eruera Tarina from Kaitahu, which is down in Christchurch, he says, you know, that there won't be one silver bullet for the types of change that need to take place within Aotearoa. But we can all be part of it. So I guess I don't feel too heavy because I'm just one part of that silver bullet. And it's going to take a lot of us um, in order to create transformation in Aotearoa. So yeah, we're working on a financial project that hopefully will alleviate um, financial hardship for a lot of people and my focus is on Māori and Pasifika uh, because they are overrepresented in the statistics concerning material hardship, financial hardship, um, income poverty, and uh, debt owed to the Ministry of Social Development. Wow. Okay. Plus, <laughs> plus um, in prison, hey. Oh, incarceration. Yeah, I, yeah incarceration. Um, yeah, there's a lot. We, I, I just kind of focus on material hardship, um, income poverty, and financial debt because if I focused on all of the statistics, yeah. it would be too overwhelming. <laughs> Do you think that like some people go down a track because they've experienced that themselves? Is that something that you went through or is it something that you just are really strong about oh meaning did I go into um financial hardship when you were growing up did you experience what you're seeing people experience now yeah I oh yeah of course I grew up in Huntley I was one of seven um yeah definitely but then again we had a lot more than some of the children on our street you know so it was it's all relative um to you know, concerning relative to the context. So in Auckland, would I have been in poverty? Yes. In Huntley? Uh, no. <laughs> what no. do you think that is? Probably different expectations. Very communal. All the, all the kids on the street still playing. Any apples out of the apple trees, plums out of the plum trees. You know, all the mums are at our house. Yeah, there were hard days, but they weren't long, enduring hard days. Yeah, so I I don't feel I'm called to this. You know, people say, oh, you become the medicine you need. Yeah, I don't think I'm becoming the medicine I need. I think I've always, people have always been like, oh, you're up in the clouds. And yeah, yeah, I am because it's what's needed. Mm. So I'm I'm quite pragmatic. Yeah. For me, I don't understand why you would consider whether or not you're going to support a mission to alleviate financial hardship when you benefit from being in the country, you we're safe, we're provided for, 
we get to be ourselves right to believe we have so many um, blessings in New Zealand just why wouldn't you yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely okay I feel like a lot of people including myself sometimes think what can I do what can I do to help this yeah when I was doing de decolonization workshops um First, if you're non-Māori and non-Pacifica, really reconnect with your identity, you know, um, rather than being stroked with a paintbrush of I'm white or I'm Pākehā or where, where are you from, what are your stories, what was the medicine that you had, go back and reconnect with it, have an identity, be comfortable with it. Um, that's really helpful if you want to work with any indigenous culture, first and foremost. And then how many people do you know in your community that are Māori or Pacifica? And I sometimes will ask that question and people put up their hands and then I'm like, okay, and when was the last time you went to copy? And all the hands go down. Yeah, so um, be brave and extend your social circles and hang out with people that aren't just from your culture and in a meaningful way, not where we're at coffee with five other people and that person was there, but engage. And from that, you will just follow the breadcrumbs and you'll find yourself involved in a community or a class or a dance group and it will happen naturally. I love that. It's kind of like that quote um, Mahatma Gandhi says about be the change you wish to see. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's like do the work inside yourself first. Get to know you. Be yeah. more comfortable. Because there's yes. nothing worse than going into something and you feel really uncomfortable and that stops you from actually connecting. And then you're constricted. And then no one gets... And you're con like contracted. And I was thinking about this the other day. And then no one really gets to see you and experience you anyway. Um, I know sometimes we've got to step out of our comfort zone, but we don't need to live out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's not actually good for you. No, exactly. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be good for us. Absolutely. Pumping adrenaline through our body and hanging out. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so coming back to what you're doing at the moment. Tell yeah. me more about that. Okay, cool. So, um, I'm trying to find these these two quotes for you because it'll it'll really sum it up. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's all right. Everyone can take a deep breath. <laughs> Okay, so at the moment, there's a lot of stigma attached to financial hardship. So actually, I'll give, I'll, I'll give a bit of background. So I grew up with not a lot, but enough. And then I was married to a musician and he got a role in The Lion King and we moved to Australia. We did red carpet and you no know, red carpet events, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow, I've done really well. Like I'm out of Huntley. 
I've studied, I'm married, I'm overseas, we have money, we're doing what we love, this is good. Okay, this is good. And then I think 2009, we separated. I was first year law school. I became a single mum of two and I had to become a beneficiary and I cried because for me it felt like, oh, even though I did all this work, I still ended up back where I never wanted to be. Um, one day I went to uh, an, an appointment at Wins, and there was a person in the line in front of me and they weren't Māori and they said, oh, can you smell my breath? And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so new, so new to this. So I was like, wow. okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think about it now. I'm like, oh goodness, Savannah. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, and then she says to me, does it smell like alcohol? And I said, no. And she goes, oh, cause I spent all my food money on alcohol. So I need to get a food grant. And I remember at that moment wanting to cry because I was thinking, but I, you know, this is, remember I was only, I was 28 and, yeah. and a newly single mum. And so I was thinking, but I tried really hard and, and I still couldn't do it. And I'm going to be thought of as the one that's saying what you've just said to me. I didn't articulate any of that, but that's exactly what was running through my body and my mind. I was thinking, wow, I'm going to get a hard time and you're not because of the stigma. Mm. Um, so anyway, what I've realized is, yeah, there is stigma and, and beneficiaries will be called lazy and mismanaged money and all of that. But it's actually a completely different worldview. So there are a couple things. One is colonization happened. And there are things um, that go with that. But then secondly, the stigma that is attached to it is unfounded in terms of a lack of education because people don't understand that we have two different worldviews. We have the non-Māori worldview and we have the Māori worldview. The non-Māori worldview is very individual and the Māori worldview is completely relational. Mm. Can you and, give me an example of those two things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't think I'm going to be the fastest interviewee for you. That's all right. <laughs> okay, so there was a study done called Taking Control, Māori Responses to Money Management, and they started to look at how to teach financial capability uh, courses incorporating Māori values for Māori. So one example of incorporating a Māori value is the principle of tino rangatiratanga, the principle of self-determination. So in this study, they applied tino uh, rangatiratanga as taking control. And this was ultimately concerned with leveraging financial education to foster a deep sense of intentionality within participants, conscious decision-making around money management. This allows participants to work with a value system they know well and are able to apply in their own lives and lived realities. So instead of um, you are the CEO of your own life, you are the boss. Um, hustle and grind, make things happen. 
that's very individual. It's here is my goal. I'm going to push my energy forward. I'm going to take, I'm going to get, I'm going to grind. Whereas for Māori, the concept of self-determination, taking control and being conscious around your decision-making and your money management. Can you feel the difference? Yeah, 100%. It's just a real, it's um, what benefits in that state of tenoranga teratanga in this context, it's in taking care of my consciousness and my mindfulness, I benefit my whānau. Um, I so get that because that is like <laughs> one of the, it's one of the um, key foundations to what I do because I believe that when someone comes and they work on themselves, they are such a better person in their home and their community and ultimately in the world, you know? Yeah. It's like it's not, it's not um, in isolation. It's so all connected. Yeah. Well, there's, I, I did find that quote and I lost it, but I'll just explain this, um, this worldview to you. So mm. Ivan Sutherland wrote in the Maori situation, this was in 1935, and he was a, a well-respected historian. It is fairly safe to say that Maoris will never fully accept European ideas regarding money. Their attitude to property is far from being identical with that of the white man. They are not and probably never will be dominated by the idea that the making and saving of money is the really sacred duty of man and the main means of happiness. So that's 1935, he, he observes that. Now, 50 years later, Broughton uh, writes this in 1989. There is no doubt that over the years, the Māori has had to struggle in order to survive within a foreign cultural environment at the expense of his own culture. From this context, there has resulted much psychological distress and anger directed at the institutions of material wealth. So colonization did not just deprive Māori of an economic base, it imposed an individualist and Western value system that was at odds with the collectivist and holistic values of Māori. So there is a clashing of value systems that Māori have to face. Well, and, uh, yeah, and, well, ma, you know, we don't, I don't even know if we as Māori are even aware. That's why it's so necessary to articulate this so that it can come into our awareness so that we can actually decide whether or not we want to maintain these beliefs. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of us aren't aware of this stuff, you know. And, and that's why it's so important, eh, to go back and discover your roots and, yeah, understand where you come from. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of funny things. Um, I'll just tell you a couple, like, the difference in Māori values. Um, okay, framing material wealth as something that offers choices and freedom from stress as opposed to being selfish and self-centred. Yeah. Understanding that the value system around materialism remains unattractive and unengaging for Māori, therefore the inclusion of relational forms of material wealth accumulation, like shared, funny, um, shared whānau money goals, is more beneficial. So everyone's saving for a house. Everyone putting money aside for land. Everyone putting... It's just... I, I, it's inclusion, eh? 
every yeah everything is about considering the cultural importance of having a meal together allowing children to be present at workshops yeah. uh, sharing stories of maori whanau have had debt and overcome it and examples of successful whanau savings efforts so all of this is from different research that i've read and i've just taken tips out um, for program design but how often do you hear Māori success stories? Yeah. How often do you hear 10,000 Māori families out of financial hardship? Or, yeah. you know, there are so many success stories. There are regenerative development success stories, and they're just not told as often. So to be Māori in in society as it currently is, is exhausting. Because if you don't fit the stigma, you have to give an explanation as to why. I used to say, this was when I was 18, I used to say the bar is set so low for me mm. that I could crawl over it. It's just the expectations are so low. Yes. Yeah, when I first applied to varsity, um, I had a performing arts scholarship and I went to apply and I just inquired about doing like a bridging year so I could figure it out. And the lady at the desk said to me, oh no, we're not taking on any more students. I mean, when does that ever happen? Yeah. We're not taking on any more students and there is no shame in flipping burgers. Wow. No yeah. Way. Yeah. I've had endless um, experiences of that. And I can remember thinking, I'm glad this is happening to me and not someone else because at least I know that I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? Whereas for another person, that would have been a really defining moment where they never would have studied. Yeah. yeah. I studied, just not there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Eh? There, that, when you said about the bar is so low. Yeah. There's also the other side where you are trying to prove yourself, hey, you know? I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I experienced the same thing. Single mother, three children, on the benefit, you know, felt very judged. Yeah. Um, and feeling like I constantly needed to prove that I was good enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? And, and does that, do you think that um, fades a bit when you know who you are? and know where you come from. I think that if you grow up speaking your language, like a lot of my friends did and I didn't, my, um, my great grandmother who actually wasn't related to me, it's hilarious, um, sent, sent us to Catholic schools and I did Scottish dancing. Um, so the otherness was really felt. I can remember saying to her like three and a half, four, maybe four, I said, I know you don't love me like the other children because I'm black and it's okay. Wow. And apparently she did have some uh, race, racism um, towards Māori, but it really changed. It really dissolved and she really worked on it and she was great. She ended up taking me to Core Hunger and everything. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's turning things around. Wow. Yeah. But then for my friends who went to Rako Manga Manga and uh, fluent in Te Reo Māori, and they learned the real New Zealand history, they learned about um, 
wars and they learned about landmarks and they can travel throughout the country and stop at a mountain and just like talk about its history, talk about the birds, talk about the plants. They're just so well connected and so knowledgeable. And a lot of them work at Māori Television now, all their teachers. Oh, I just think that it's different when, when you know where you come from. Because I think a lot of people can know who they are because they're spending a lot of time with themselves. But to know where you come from and, and the ancestry and the whakapapa that is always at play and always showing up for you, I think that's a gift that you actually have to go after, especially yeah. once, yeah, especially if your culture was colonised, which is the world over. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know, we've been talking about this for a, a couple of years, I reckon, now where I'm like, gonna learn today on my here it is in my face again like come on trace you know find out learn and connect more yeah so important hey yeah um i think there's a lot of attention just getting back to the financial hardship i think that there's a lot of attention that's going to be given to this topic now more so because we have an aging skilled Pakia population. Uh, the baby boomers are retiring and we have a very young Māori uh, generation coming through. And this is going to happen by 2037. Oh, so, exciting. <laughs> yeah, but if we haven't catered to their needs in terms of education, if they're not skilled for employment, then there's still going to be income poverty. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was just reminded because I just wrote here, a Human Rights Commission report released in November 2019 stated that hardship grants given out by the Ministry for Social Development had escalated to $167 million, with more than $500 million owed to the Ministry for Social Development for recoverable hardship assistance and grants, up more than $100 million on what it was in 2015. Wow. Holy shit. And that's, that's just one little part. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not taking into consideration anything else. That's only MSD. So, oh, yeah, so that's why I keep talking about intergenerational change because Rangi Marie Mule, she's the director of OI. Um, she, I quoted her and it's like, until now we've been building solutions around the system. Actually, this is Iruira Tarena, but he says, until now we've been building solutions around the system, but it's a complex systemic issue which requires a complex and systemic solution. There's no silver bullet. It will require a range of efforts across multiple spaces and sectors. So we have a skill shortage. We have Māori that are earning minimum wage. We have skilled Pākehā that are retiring. We have income poverty, material hardship. We have child poverty. Uh, it's costing the government. And I just think it's time to go back. Māori and Pacifica are overrepresented in the statistics. Look at colonisation. Look at the laws that were made to exclude Māori from economy. And 
now start creating programs and solutions for Māori and Pasifika. Because there's only so long that non-Māori can sit back and, and say, oh, those bloody Māori. Like, there's only so long because Māori are the younger growing population within New Zealand. Oh, wow. What, what an amazing culture yeah. that we've protected our language, we're revitalising our language, we're growing in number... Yeah. We have Māori television, we have radio airways, we have now you can do a master's in Indigenous leadership with like Te Wānango Aotearoa. There's just so much going on and for people that, you know, we're nearly wiped out. Mm. You've just got to think about the human spirit within this culture and it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. It almost feels like full circle it's coming back around full circle yeah yeah Yeah. and I think you know I don't know the full story of Kaitahu so I don't want to speak about something I don't truly know but I know that they made a big investment in educating their young ones Um, I've heard stories of the older generation mortgaging their homes to set up um, Kaitahu with finance and just different awesome stories where that collective approach and that long-term vision has really benefited people. So it's funny because people always say to me, oh, yeah, you're really focused on that Māori stuff. But if you remove the fact that I'm Māori and you look at the current situation within New Zealand, we should all be focused on that Māori stuff Mm. to really create... um, social justice and and really positive social outcomes yes yeah it doesn't matter um it doesn't matter what nationality it is if if people are um going through this pain then we need to be there to help eh? yeah yeah Yeah. gosh so inspiring so inspiring seriously i'm just like right i've got to i've got to help I've got to do something about this because um you can carry on in your life and do your stuff and pretend it's not happening but yeah. it is happening and um and yeah I don't want that to continue and I think giving things a go like just give things a go um you know in the bible it says when I was growing up um you know god uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I know everyone has a sp- has strong views with um, religion and colonization. But that that is still kind of the way I live life. To be foolish. Yeah. To give things a go. Don't be so... Don't wait to get a PhD. Don't wait to get a master's. Don't wait to know 50 Māori people. Just be really foolish. Just give it a go. Like, I'm looking at a data protection project. Do I know data? No. no. Will, I, will I definitely stay on that project? Who knows? But just try. Try speaking Māori. And, oh, my gosh, with speaking Māori, my, um, my tutor always says, there's speaking Māori for non-Māori, great. But then speaking Māori for Māori is a spiritual wairua experience. And when you're learning it, 
you can feel really fuckama, like you can feel really shy because you start to feel the grief of what you didn't get to have. And when you start to learn the language and feel the language and understand that that's you and you didn't get to have that, that's a grieving process. And it's a different experience. So I don't pressure myself to know as much as others. Yeah. But it is important that I listen to Māori songs, that I try to speak Māori when I can, and that I'm at least reading stories about chiefs or landmarks, just something to reconnect. I think it's quite Western to think that you have to learn the language and old inside out, get a master's in it, teach it. Like, it's just not going to happen like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you got any resources where people could go and start, or is it just Google, or are there some apps or something that you'd recommend that would help people? To- oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I have, on my desk, even if I'm not reading them, they sit there because uh, it's just a good reminder. So, Māori Made Easy mm-hmm. by Scotty Morrison is a really easy, you do 30 minutes a day. And I know a woman who did this and then went and applied to learn te reo Māori and she got put up a level. Wow, cool. Because she'd, yeah, she'd really learnt it. Um, listen to Māori music like Macy Rika. Like, learn a song and sing that song all the time and then the more you sing that song, the more the words will resonate because I'm always interested. Why do you think this is actually, Tracy? How come people can learn these mantras from India? Um, don't get me wrong, beautiful culture. And all these, this other whole language and deep wisdom. Yeah. And then say to me, like, oh, Kiora, like, I'm confused. Yeah. I am guilty. <laughs> I love that. I love that you just said that. I am guilty. And I used to think that, oh my gosh, I'm learning mantra and I'm not learning my own language. Holy shit. I need to get that sorted. Yeah. Yeah. When I came to Auckland, I'm trying to show you my books, but like this is an audio. But do, do people know who... Tipoya is or Fina Cooper or do you know what happened at Parihaka? Um, you know, like if you Googled one thing a day or a proverb a day, a fakatoki, you would you would be well on your journey. Yeah, that's so true. Just one fakatoki a day. Yeah, um, it's funny, Andy and I finally did sign up to learn, and then we yeah. went into isolation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, um, I love that idea of just Googling one thing a day, learning a song. Yeah. yeah like the simple things that have such a profound effect. And it's always about the little things, eh? Oh, Lots it really is. Like one karakia at mealtime. One song that the family knows so that when you go somewhere and you say something, your kids can stand up and sing a song. Yes. You know, you can participate in Māori culture. 
I feel like I've taken you on a tangent and I sound like I'm just an ambassador for. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like you've taken. Okay, good. But yeah, I guess I am super passionate. My sister is, we have different dads and my sister's pretty close to full Māori. And um, I said to her, well, I'm not as Māori as you, so you should lead this. Um, she's the eldest. Yeah. And she laughed and she said, I don't know what happened, but you're more Māori than all of us. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it is just something I, I love. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell it just radiates out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, man. I am, I am committing to, I'm going to stop reading the trashy book I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> I'm going to, and I'm going to find some, yeah, I'm going to start doing that. But I also, you do plant medicine. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So first like flower essences is what I use. And um, one of my, one of my next steps in that is actually to find someone who takes you out and teaches you the plants. You know, like I haven't done that. We've done it in a classroom um, with using the essences, but I want to connect more to the actual earth and the plants. Yeah. What about Dr. Rose Petty? Yes, so so that's who, um, she plays a massive part in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know whether she's actually doing groups anymore. I'm not sure. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yeah. like what Graydon does with Pāropata. Yes. He goes out and he does rungoa in the bush and collects the plants and everything. I actually remember um, at Spirit Fest, I got to a talk where Graydon was speaking about that and I only caught the end of it, but he was saying about that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to know more about that. Um, yeah, so yeah. we'll have to, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely send you that. That would be fantastic. So in, um, in ending this lovely talk, which I'm mm -hmm. so grateful for, what would you like to share with the listeners? What would I like to share with the listeners? Mm. I guess if you're non-Māori, I would really challenge you to consider the fact that there's more than one worldview and that it's not only Māori, but all Indigenous peoples have their own worldview and their own way of seeing and experiencing this world. And understanding that when you have a different worldview and you're in relationship with trees and water and birds and the energy of all things, to be cut off with that is probably the most painful thing you can do to someone. So that's before we even get to the, pr the practical painful things like legislation, like the Tohunga Suppression Act, which meant that our people couldn't continue to learn or practice their medicine. And now you have naturopaths and people 
you know, delivering plant medicine and that was cut off. So just think, just, I would, I would invite anyone who's not Māori to be really honest and to allow the idea that what if Māori and Pasifika are actually intelligent beyond our understanding, more connected than we've ever given them credit for, and a part of a lot of the solutions that we currently need for the environment. And if you are Māori, I would ask you to be really gentle on yourself and really kind to yourself understand the disconnection understand what's happened not so that you can drown in it don't go into the history and drown please just go in read it understand so that you can be more patient and gracious and nourishing towards who you are and then take incremental steps incremental i'm not about shifting this big change i'm really about intentional incremental consistent well-managed, well-planned steps towards transformation. And that's probably my number one thing at the moment is we don't need to buy into the hype. Everything is intergenerational. After we pass, people will live. Not everyone will be on the moon. Um, so let's just be really good stewards and let's continue and let's encourage each other because we don't need to have a crisis of spirit right now. <laughs> just keep going until you can't keep going yeah I don't know if that's helpful but that really is where I'm at at the moment that is so helpful so so helpful it really resonates and how you were saying you know for non-Maori to um, see how amazing Maoris are yeah for Maori to see that too you know like to own their amazingness, what they have within them. I think to see the beauty, though, you really have to go back and connect with the pain. Like You really need to understand, because then you start to appreciate the sacrifices that were made. And, oh, such a, we have so many amazing Māori leaders and so many amazing chiefs who left us with so many amazing proverbs and I think for me my experience of being Māori growing up was quite the opposite was painful so I went overseas and did everything that was considered successful and when I came home um, it was my first year of law school my grandmother passed and when she passed she took the library with her and this idea of anti-aging anti having wrinkles, anti-being an outer, anti-growing up, anti-adulting, um, young, fast, speedy hustle. It's just really good marketing because we need the elders. We need people to want to grow up. We need the leaders. We need the mamas. We need the grandmothers. We need the aunties. Like We really need that full cycle of life. When my grandmother passed, I just thought, man, had I reconnected just a little bit sooner, I could have sat by her and just learned so much more. Um, because when she was passing, she was having flashbacks and she kept saying, 
please take our food to the next farm. That family's got no food. That family's got no food. And so she was having a flashback. And I thought, even in your passing, your concern is whether the community has food too. So, yeah. It is going back. It it's is. just go back and, and, and understand. If you can't understand how amazing you are, if you're in a really dark place and you can't understand how amazing you are, understand how amazing your ancestors are, understand those that came before you and what they had intended, and then piggyback on that Ooh. until you, you know, borrow from them until you have your own because your own will come about. But if, if all you can do is say my great, great grandmother or the chief of my iwi, or this is what they did and I come from them and that, you know, I am a seed that can never be lost. Yeah. That's like a fucker toki. You can never be lost. So Put me in a room with anyone who's naughty and discouraged. Seriously, Tracy. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I've, I have enjoyed this conversation so much, and you've planted lots of little seeds in me, um, which I hope you have for the listeners too. I'm sure you have. And thank you for your work too. Mm, You're such a bright bubble. I follow what you do, and it's so beautiful and real. You're real, though. You're not. Yeah, it's yeah. not true. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I'm sharing this with, with everyone. And yeah, thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Have a good day. You too.